intellect and change every Thursday from 11 to 1 right here on the Sensation Station Network. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are going to be discussing victimology. Victimology, and we're going to unpack power, prestige, and pain behind that. And we have two guests tonight, or tonight, we have two guests today um, who are going to help us unpack this concept of victimology from two very different perspectives. In the first hour, we'll have life and relationship coach um, Jay Hurt, and he will be joining us to unpack it from a relationship standpoint. And in the second hour, we'll have Chong Kim join us, and she is going to be helping us unpack from the standpoint of human trafficking. Really heavy show today, really important um, subject matter today. As always, we're going to be looking at um, some research as well as some um, real life uh, stories, real life issues, real life reality um, and trauma at, at all ages, childhood trauma, adult trauma um, has proven to be quite prevalent and adversely impactful on our lives. And what we want to do is look at that from the standpoint of the concept of victimology. So we'll explore what it means to look at this trauma and pain and to unpack it. And then furthermore, discuss the power and prestige that these adverse experiences um, can bring to society, how people benefit from this um, by preying on other people. So, so much to talk about. Um, I am looking forward to your comments, your engagement. Join us on Facebook Live on the Sensation Station Network uh, Facebook page. And we'll be right back on the live exchange. All right. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, where every Thursday we are here to discuss issues around humanity, humanity and intellect and change. And today we are talking about the concept of victimology um, and really unpacking power, prestige and pain. And we are looking at it from a, a variety of different angles today. We are going to talk about the Derek Jackson, Denea Jackson issue for sure. We're going to look at Kirk Franklin and we are also in the second hour going to be looking at human trafficking. So without further ado, I would love to introduce our first guest. Jay Hurt is the coach's coach. As an author, international speaker, mastermind facilitator, and relationship coach, Jay offers a unique and strategic approach to relationship and communication. He is a strong proponent of both professional and personal development, as well as being passionate about creating frameworks and principles for coaches in order to help them become more effective communication uh, communicators and leaders. His background, values, and beliefs have led him to focus on, an importance, on the importance of good communication in both business and professional relationship. Um, he is the author of The Nine Tenets of a Successful Relationship and his newly released book, Before, you, uh, Before We Jump the Broom. He is also the COO of the Academy of Creative Coaching, a frequent speaker and facilitator of mastermind groups. So without further ado, welcome, 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 Jay Hurt. Thank you for having me, Dr. Pamela. I appreciate it. I am happy to be back on the live exchange. Yes, yes. So we've had uh, Jay on a couple of times. And um, yeah, so we've had to ha we have to have him back. It's been too long. So welcome. <laughs> so glad to have you back. Um, I, I, tell everybody um, what this because I, I mentioned that you have a couple of books, you have the nine tenets of a successful relationship you have before we jump the broom. Um, and you also do mastermind groups. Can you kind of help the audience get a sense of what this all means and what it can mean for them? 
Sure. So um, personally, I have been a certified relationship coach for the past 10 years. Um, and also I have been leading masterminds. We're now going into my fifth year and I'm a certified mastermind facilitator. So what that means um, really from the relationship standpoint, from the, the coaching standpoint, right, is trying to help people develop healthy, um, powerful, successful relationships moving forward, right? Um, my most recent book, Before We Jump the Room, The Premarital Guide for African-American Couples, is talking about what does that look like as we get into the dating phase where we're, where we're really serious and we're about to get engaged or engaged. So what does that look like? How do we move forward? Um, I think the most important time that we have in a relationship that we're planning on moving into marriage is the time right before we get to that point, right? We want to make sure that we understand clearly what we're jumping into, what that really looks like. Um, do we really know that person? Do we, we think we do, right? We have the butterflies, you know, everything's going great, but do we really know them beyond just that representative phase? Do we know what they, what they like, what they don't like? Are we really compatible? Do we really have chemistry, right? So the more that we learn about each other, um, the more that we learn about, you know, other people's in-laws, how they manage their finances, all those types of things. <laughs> yeah, no, those are big ones. The in-laws, uh, how we yeah. find, handle our finances. Oh my, you know, those are major. So, um, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that you, you emphasized is really getting to know one another. And I wonder how important that truly is to people these days um, with the rush to run down the aisle, with the, um, you know, making sure that we have, you know, the certain check boxes, but that are really, really ex external, you know, that are not really about who the person is. So I like the level of depth that you're talking about when it means what it means to get to know somebody. Absolutely. Um, and that's a great point, right? When, we're, when we want something so bad, we often mm -hmm. skip all the, the really important stuff and we're just happy to have someone, right? We want to have yeah. someone that makes us better, that we enjoy spending time with, and that we can truly see moving forward for life because life is a long time, y'all, right? I know people say life is short. Get married, be. get married for 30 or 40 years and see how short it is. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we want to really spend, spend some time making sure this is the right person, the right situation, so that we can move forward in a, a healthy and productive and fun way. We want to enjoy this thing. So, yeah. Okay, so I have a question about the right person, the right situation. Is there such a thing, um, or do two people create the right situation, or is it a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both. So um, it's important to understand that when we when we meet someone, um, I, I often talk about these three things that I think every couple needs to have early on in the beginning of their relationship, right? The first thing is attraction. I don't care what anybody tells you, like, you know, somebody may say, girl, you just need to get a man or what. No, you need to be attracted because you got to look at that man for a long time. Right. And you got to touch him. And you got to touch him. And you got to touch him. Right. So secondly, um, you got to have some some level of chemistry. Right. There has to be that thing that that thing that nobody can really put their their finger on. But, you know, you have it because there's this yin and yang that's just just a beautiful mix of your personalities in your life. And then finally, you have to have compatibility, right? So you're able to mesh these things together and one is strong where the other is weak and you lift each other up. So, so when you're trying to build and when you're trying to 
you know, make a make a life and make a home. Um, you need these things. So you need to understand, um, you know, what that really what that really looks like and go deeper. And I think I lost my way on your question, but hopefully that was kind of an answer. Oh, no, that was great. That was that was great. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, one of the reasons why I have you on here is because I definitely want to hear your take on um, some of the different situations that have been happening very publicly for some very high profile people. Um, you know, you know, in the trending topics, we're going to look at, you know, Kirk Franklin. Um, at some point, we're definitely going to jump into this whole Derek Jackson, Denea Jackson uh, situation. Um, and what I'm really hoping to unpack is what we can do to um, be smarter, um, because we are all capable and, and maybe being smarter isn't the right <laughs> way to put it, but we all run the risk of finding ourselves in these situations. Um, and so I want to help us be a bit more proactive about, you know, being able to overcome. So, you know, if do you have anything just short and quick um, that you can, in a nutshell, help us understand what do we need to work on avoiding in order to find the right situation. So if we're talking specifically about a situation like Derek's, and I know we'll get into that more a little bit later, but I think mm -hmm. it's important in a situation like that where they've had a long-term relationship. Um, they got married about four years ago, but I think they dated for six or seven years before that. So, and they dated off and on. Um, one thing that's just just cons just consistently pops up both with my clients and with the situation is that when you're dating off and on and you're seeing problems, you're seeing challenges, and they're happening over and over again, um, yeah. believe that, right? I think it was Maya Angelou that said, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. So if you continue to see problems, you've got, you've got to be open to the possibility that it might not be you, it may be them, and it's not necessarily that. Um, you know, they did something wrong. They just might not be the right fit at the right time with the right person. So when we have a car, right, that has a bunch of problems, eventually we get tired of it and we sell it. But when we have a, a man or a woman that has a bunch of problems, we want to go over and over and over again and try to fix that thing and turn that thing, in, you know, from a broken down Honda Civic into a Lamborghini. And it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes yeah. people just aren't the right fit. Yeah. Oh, I love that. When you are on an on again, off again relationship, there's probably a lot of signals there um, to pay attention to, listen to it, believe it. I, I think that is a really, that's a really great nugget um, because I think we often don't. And, and, you know, one of the things that I also want to get into is a term that I've been calling toxic faith. Um, in, um, and this is a term that was introduced to the show um, when um, Tara Carissa Hodges was on here. And it's ironic because I had written about toxic hope, which is in my upcoming book, uh, Joyfully Single. And it's just this idea that um, I, in, here's the best way I describe it is I'm going to twist God's arm and I'm going to make God make this thing right for me. And, and, and to me, there's, there's a whole lot of that is highly problematic. But that's how I see toxic faith and toxic hope. So, as you know, we've, we've discussed this, and I'll reiterate kind of my, my feeling on that. Um, although my mind was almost changed yesterday. Um, so I, I wouldn't call it toxic faith, right? As a Christian, I think, I think faith is, is an amazing and sacred thing. I get the point of what 
um, Tara Carissa was talking about when she when she talked about toxic faith. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it's more a lack of discernment, and it's a and it's a it's an opportunity to say that my strength through God is going to make this right. But I also let me let me use a super quick analogy, a silly little um, a silly little thing that that kind of expresses this. So there's a there's a joke or a fable or whatever you want to call it where this guy is in his house and it's flooding, right? And someone says, uh, uh, like FEMA or wh- whomever comes by and says, "Hey, Mister Such and Such, we gotta get you out of this house. It's flooding." He's like, "No, um, God said He's gonna save me. I'm good, right?" So they come they come by in a car. The next thing, it's like really high. They have to come by in a boat to get him. He's like, "Yo, I'm not leaving. God said He is going to save me." And then finally, they come by in a helicopter. He's on the roof. The, the water's gotten too high. And they're like, no, we got to get you. And he's like, no, God is going to save me. So he goes to heaven. He's at the gates. And he talks to St. Peter. He's like, why didn't God save me? He said, God sent you a car, a boat, and a helicopter. And you didn't take any of them. And it's the same thing in relationships. You have to take those cues to understand how to move forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we we've got that was a really great analogy, and you know, and we're we're definitely going to come back to this because regardless of what you want to call it, I think there's ways that we we pervert the beautiful things that God gives us. God gives us grace. God gives us faith. God gives us love, and we find ways to pervert it. <laughs> um, wow. And so I want to I want to definitely delve into that uh, when we come back. We're going to go into trending topics, and then we can kind of weave all this in. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Things trending. There's been some really serious, um, heartbreaking issues, of course, going on. Um, and then we've also had some very interesting relationship breakdowns that uh, we've all witnessed. And one of which actually happened um, a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago, um, with Kirk Franklin and his son. And they actually appeared on the Tamron Hall show last week. So we'll show you a little bit of that and then. Um, dissect that a little bit. Your 32-year-old son, Kirion, posted a video of an exchange between the two of you. It was clearly very heated. It was a phone call and it contained profanity and anger. Let me play some of it. I did it. Wow. So yeah, um, quite heated. Um, you know, and you know, we heard part of this conversation. The conversation was being recorded by his son. Um, which already kind of is a very interesting angle to the story. He was recording it. He posted it. Um, the the story um, that Kirk Franklin um, and his wife were, um, explained on the show was that these have been ongoing issues and concerns that they've had with their um, with their son. Um, and the mother of the son um, is not the current wife of his. Um, also on another show um, said that she was she stood behind Kirk on this one hundred percent because they have consistently had these challenges and these issues uh, with their son. So the the conversation has really kind of been split on social media, Team Kirk Franklin or 
cancel Kirk Franklin. You know, as we know, this whole cancel culture thing is is a, a thing of this era. Um, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, Jay. You emphasized communication being important, really understanding one another. I would assume this applies to parent-child relationships. For sure. Um, communication is definitely important, obviously. Um, gosh, communication style is important. Um, listening for understanding as opposed to listening for the opportunity to talk, right? What I mean when I say that is so often yeah. we have conversations, but we, we're just listening to wait to get to our turn, right? We, we're not really paying attention to what's being said. So we don't even know what's coming from the other person. I think it's also important for someone to feel like they are being heard just as much as you are listening to make sure that they understand they're being heard. But, you know, we work in the helping professions, right? And and for me, something like this, you know, with a with a, a child at this age, right, a son at this age, um, I think they really need therapy. And I think therapy would be, you know, something that's incredibly helpful if they're both committed to it. You know, if they're open to have conversations, I think they likely need to work on, you know, healing individually, um, healing together as a family, um, everyone involved, I guess, as much as the therapist sees fit. Um, when you've gone through these things for so long and and you are, you know, you have this level of something that I noticed was a level of vitriol when Kirk was talking to his son. Right. So I get frustrated with my kids and I know all of us do. And we may even say things we shouldn't say, even though I don't necessarily condone that that happens, right? When you're, when you're so close, you get frustrated and you say things that, that you regret later. But often it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So we may call you something, and I definitely don't condone calling a child out of their name, but something may slip. But it's, it's the emphasis that you put on it. And the emphasis that I heard in Kirk's voice was very much um, talking to him almost like he was a stranger or talking to him like he really didn't have love for him. And that's a problem. And, and these things need to be addressed, um, hopefully in counseling. Um, I pray that they get better. I pray that they, you know, they're able to work through those challenges. But it's uh, it's more than just communication. It's really somebody deciding, hey, I want to put in some work to make this relationship better. That's so good. Um, you know, and it reminds me of um, two of my favorite relationship uh, researchers, uh, psychologists are the Gottmans. And um, one of the things, one of the theories that they put out there is that the number one indicator that a marriage is not going to last is if when watching how couples fight, um, if there's any level of contempt in that conversation. Contempt meaning I'm really, I'm just disgusted with you. Like you are, you know, I hate you, which is kind of what we heard, you know, in, in Kirk's voice here. Um, but when that is evident in a marriage, that is the number one indicator that that marriage may not last. Um, so that speaks really directly to exactly what you were saying. And so this applies to parent-child relationships, not that, you know, they're bound to each other for life, um, <laughs> father, son. Um, but so, so what, what kind of life will they have for one another? Um, you know, after this, it'll be really interesting, uh, you know, to see. So, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I want to just dive in and dissect that thing. Um, I know you had said it's going to take three hours to kind of get through all this stuff. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> well, so, so I'll, say one other, I'll say one other thing about Kirk. So, you know, we also, we talk about body language and, and we look at body language and even his body language. I haven't seen the, the full Tamron Hall interview, right? 
even his body language in the interview is defensive. So mm. I get that there is a there's a wall, and he's been through a lot with this child, and this child happened. You know, he was conceived when he was still a teenager, and he wasn't married yet, and they've been through a lot. But at the same time, there has to be a a point of reflection, right? Especially, I think, in the parent, where you step back and say, hey, there's more that I could have done. There's clearly clearly a deficiency with this relationship with my child. What can I do to step forward and try to begin the process of healing? It's not all on Kirk, but at the same time, I think if Kirk steps forward and says, hey, I have a lot of responsibility here. Let me go take some steps to work it out. Even if even if it's not bringing everybody together to have a conversation yet, maybe if it's just him having the conversation with the therapist and saying, "Hey, look, I need to do some work on myself before I can even begin to rebuild this family." Um, I think the child will often, in, in a situation like that, would be it would be in their interest, not only in their interest, but I think they they would lean toward, "Hey, Dad really cares." Um, yeah. I'm reaching out anyway, because one of the things I noticed from the story is one of the reasons that that carry on posted, posted this on social media was that some people didn't know that Kirk was his dad and they didn't believe him. So for him to prove that Kirk was his dad, he decided to post something on social media. Now, he could have picked a picture or something in the past. He, have, <laughs> right? he could have picked a football game or something that he played in. He didn't have to pick this, but right. This is what he decided to do. So, so yeah, there's some there's some healing and trauma that needs to be worked through. Absolutely. Well, you know, a lot of times we don't necessarily want to um, do what it takes um, because one of the things we have to remember is that we are healing our own. We are taking care of our own peace of mind. I can only imagine what it felt like for Kirk Franklin to have such a level of rage. Physio- just physiologically speaking, what does that do to your body? To to be able to embody that level of rage within you, um, even if it's justifiable, um, and to carry that has an impact on our body, has an impact on the stress levels. Um, I remember the last time I screamed at somebody that I was dating in my early 20s and decided I will never let anybody get me that upset again because it hurts me much more than it hurts them. And I think that if we can start just thinking about that in terms of taking care of ourselves rather than we are giving the other person something, we're not. We're giving ourselves something by finding a way to be cool, um, you know, stand up for ourselves, but not let ourselves get so wrapped up, you know, just looking at, 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 you know, I can only imagine what his body was doing in that moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we talk about forgiveness and forgiveness being for us yeah. as much or more than it is for the person that we're forgiving. So we can let that go. We can let that vitriol go. We can let that hate go. Um, the physiological reactions that we have in our body for how we feel about someone who hasn't treated us well. I'm sure Co- Kirk was going through that. And yeah. you know, that's a whole, that's an entire process. And I, again, I hope they, yeah, I really hope they work through. I do too. And, and look, I am one of the ones, I will confess 
I'm one of the ones that said Team Kirk Franklin. <laughs> so while we are, you know, critically analyzing him, um, I did have a level of empathy for him from the standpoint of parenthood because um, I, I can understand when you, you know, when somebody pushes you to the edge and it's your child and you've been there, how frustrating that can be. It doesn't justify the actions. I don't think what he did was okay. But I say Team Kirk Franklin only because I know that, um, you know, he's human. We make mistakes. I hope he grows from there. But I'm going to say, I can't say the same thing about Derek Jackson. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't have empathy for Derek Jackson. <laughs> you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. So, and, and I'll just say this, this brief thing about, about Kirk and Derek. It's not that I'm team, not, not team Kirk, right? I get it. Totally I'm, I get it. Yeah. I'm, I have a, I have a 26 year old. She drives me crazy sometimes. I love her, but I get it. Um, yeah. At the same time, my hope is that they will do the work. And I think yeah. that Kirk right now is so frustrated that he can't see the opportunity to do the work. But yeah. if you say that for Kirk, though, <laughs> I so can't say that. For Derek? I'm just wondering. I what's can't. the challenge there's a double standard for Derek. I can't do it. So we're going to, but we are going to talk about that. When we come back. Uh, we're going to get into some research. Uh, we come back and look at what victimology actually is because that is the perfect opening conversation for the Jackson family. So we'll be right back. <laughs> Dr. Pamela, um, and um, today we are talking about victimology, and we are unpacking the power and prestige and the pain that comes with um, victimology. So what is victimology? Um, there's actually research on this. It's a specific term, and there is four um, or three um, specific areas or, or um, types of victimology um, our victim theory that we see. So, so victimology, just to give you an overview of that, is the study of crime victims. Um, it's a subset of criminology um, and the study of crime. Um, and so, you know, often we hear about criminology. We hear about criminology majors. We don't often hear about victimology. People who study victimology or victimization examines the psychological effects of crimes on the victims, uh, the interactions between the victims and the criminal justice system and the relationships between victims and offenders. Um, modern theories of victimology try to explain why some are more likely than others uh, to become victims of a crime. And so um, in the second hour, we're going to be very specifically looking at crimes. In this hour, we're going to be looking at this from the standpoint of um, relationships and um, um, abuse, you know, depending on how we want um, to define the dynamics of these relationships. Um so the, there's different. There's three different types of, of victimology studies. So we have victim precipitation theory, and this suggests that the characteristics of the victim um, precipitate the crime. So that there's something about the victim that brings the crime about. These again are theories and perspectives about why um, crimes happen, why victims are victims. So a criminal could single out a victim because the victim is of a, perhaps a certain ethnicity or race or sexual orientation or gender or gender identity. So they are, so victim precipitation theory says, we're, I'm singling this particular person out, um, you know, and, and because of who they are. Um, and we, this is, um, you know, 
we hate crimes that we that we um, hear about, see about. That's generally what the gist is here. Um, lifestyle theory suggests that certain people may become the victims of crime because of their lifestyle and their choices. So, for example, somebody with a gambling or a substance addiction could be considered an easy um, uh, victim by a con artist. There was an article that came out yesterday that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit um, because this kind of can probably rub people the wrong way who are very much sensitive to the idea of, of victim blaming or victim shaming. There was a, a young woman in Florida. She traveled to Florida um, for spring break. She was kidnapped or, or she wasn't, she was sexually assaulted and she was killed. She wasn't kidnapped. They came to her room. Um, and the headline of the article said the student or the, the woman who was murdered traveled alone. That was the headline. So the focus was on on basically based on lifestyle theory. The focus of that article was basically because she travels alone often, that, that this was something that she um, made herself more vulnerable to happen. You know, that was the perspective of the article. It was hard to read that um, because of the way that they emphasized that. Um, even my daughter said, why isn't this about don't rape and kill women um, as opposed to stop telling women to travel? So it's, it's a very viable debate on both sides. So, so that was interesting. And then the last one, um, um, there is, well, there's overlap between the lifestyle theory and the deviant place theory. The deviant place theory states that an individual is more likely to become the victim of a crime when exposed to dangerous areas. Um, so in other words, a mugger is more likely to target a person walking alone after dark in a bad neighborhood. Um, and the more frequently a person ventures into bad neighborhoods, um, violent crime is more often uh, the risk. And so these are three different perspectives in terms of how a victim might become a victim. Um, I want to connect this to the story that everybody has been talking about with regards to Derek Jackson. He is a relationship, quote unquote, relationship expert who has spent many years, you know, um, giving women advice about how to demand respect from their men. Ironically, it was uncovered that he has been on an on-again, off-again, 12-year relationship with his now wife, who he has been cheating on for this entire time. And when we saw the video that came out of the two of them talking about the situation, she very much, in my opinion, looked like a victim. She very much um, looked like she was um, not okay. And um, and so of all the conversations that are happening around what she looked like and how hard he was squeezing her hand and all of those things, my biggest concern is, is this woman okay? She looks like she's living in a fog. And um, I'll go ahead and, and let you all, um, th so there's been a lot of conversation and dialogue. So, and, and I think that the video that we're going to show is really um, the way that her husband, the way that Derek Jackson responds to this whole scandal by creating a video of himself critiquing himself. Um, and so, yeah, it's just really ironic, the whole thing, or very odd. So let's go ahead and show that video. And, and if you think he's not selling products still, you're wrong. I know some people will see this type of video, even though he's come forward and he's been completely honest. Um, some people are just going to close the book on D. Some people are going to close the book on this dude and say, you know what? I'm done with you. Cancel you. Cancel culture. Come here. I'm more so on the side of his wife. 
and just basically letting this be a new chapter of how I see him because I do believe that his content over the years has helped a tremendous amount of people. You know, he tells the truth. He speaks facts. And quite honestly, I'm going to be real with y'all. I've needed several new chapters in my own life. Lord knows. And I'm not ashamed to say it, but I'm no guru. Those are just my thoughts. Y'all let me know what you think down in the comments. And by the way, he has a book detailing how he and his wife overcame all of this in their private lives a long time ago, matter of fact. It's called Heal Together Without Hurting Each Other. I can't. I can't. I, so, so okay, for those of you who are just listening and you're not watching, that was Derek Jackson talking about himself in third person. Psycho. Just psycho. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... I I mean, you're right. <laughs> he said the dude, I, I just, Jay, please say something. <laughs> and, and I'll say that we have a listener who commented and she said, very creepy. He seems almost angry. He does. Oh, first of all, should I, should I, can I like hold this up as I talk? Hold your book up. Hold my book up like, like, like a man. Does. So, um, gosh, I didn't know you guys were going to start there. You started. In, okay. Let's start there. So, and we only have 10 minutes. I, I, oh, but go ahead. Okay. So, uh, so a little context around what you just saw, right? So yeah, he was talking about himself in third person. What happened was, so this is after a lot of the drama has come out. He's posted a couple of videos, a video with his wife, which is in that video that, that um, we are showing with, um, with he and his wife. They're in the picture next to, next to the video that we eventually show. So he said that a commenter asked him to do an opinion uh, video on his situation. So he decided to do an, an opinion video calling himself D in third person talking about his situation. Strike one. So if you're, I, I don't know how else to say this, right? If you're trying to work on something um, that is a sensitive subject and you're trying to protect your wife, you're trying to protect your feelings, you're trying to protect your marriage, right? This is a no-no. I get that he he feels like he's kind of playing a game and like he's a he's a relationship guru and he talks about everybody's relationships and situations. So, hey, let's go talk about mine. Maybe that's a good idea. That is a terrible idea. And, um, you know, I and, and I'll just say this. So <clears throat> full disclosure, um, I have been on a panel with Derek and I think most of the time, to be honest with you, he shares good insight. Right. But regardless of that, this is like when you're so when you're when you're thinking about the person that matters the most to you, that should supersede any media, any marketing, any creative ideas to try to to try to make this look good in public. Right. It should Book all sales. just work out. However, I'm sorry. Book sales. <laughs> Book sales. That's why I have the book up because in one of the videos he he's holding a book up. Um, this should supersede all of that, man. Your, your wife is the most important thing in your life, and you have to honor her and love her and respect her above all of that. The rest of it can go out the window. Another thing that I want to say um, is, so in the, in the previous video before this one where he was sitting with his wife and Dr. Pam, you were talking about him um, squeezing her hand, probably squeezing her hand so the blood rushed out of it. Um, right. Keeping her in check, so to speak. I guess I, I can't say that for sure, but but I think it's important that um, and this really, you know, this is all water under the bridge at this point. He's done this, but as we move forward in our lives and we have situations where, <clears throat> excuse me, we have situations where 
we've done someone wrong or we've been done wrong, let's have honest, open dialogue with them. And then if we're in a public place, we need to remove them from that situation, right? Because again, we need to protect them. So like she's yeah. doing videos to defend her position and all of that. And it's really, none of it's really coming off well. And I get that um, she's a Christian and I get that she's using her faith as we talked about earlier to kind mm-hmm. of be that, that wall and that conduit to the Holy Spirit yeah. to make sure that everything is okay. And that may all be the case. But what the reality of it is, is that he should be protecting his wife first. And by protecting her, he should be taking her out of this entire public conversation, point blank, period. That's where we start. So I've got yeah. a lot from this and that, but that's just, you guys start at the end and kind of caught me off guard with the face palm. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, the thing is, um, I think what's most concerning is that we can see her, you know, one of the things I wrote about in my book is that sometimes we, when we get in such a fog, and this particular chapter speaks so directly to her, where I think she is, um, when we get so deep in that fog, and we get so deep into depression, um, we don't know we're there, and we are just going about life and I equated it to like a crackhead. You know, you think you're okay. You slap on your wig in a crooked manner. You slop, put on some really sloppy lipstick. And then you walk outside stumbling thinking you're looking good. I look good. I, I'm hiding all of my crackhead stuff. And she's not. And the video that she showed really, and that she, that she, that she herself posted showed it. And, it, and it's heartbreaking. Um, but she has no idea. I don't think she has any idea. So I, it's giving me Stockholm think, syndrome very much. I think Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yes, yes. I think she's yeah. so committed, um, as we would say in poker pot committed. She's all in and she sees no way out. So she's going to double and triple down. And she's filmed another video since the first one. Um, yeah. And this is just where she is at the moment. I think. I still think the best thing for them to do, you know, ultimately I hope they get therapy. I hope they heal. I hope they work it out. I love black love, right? I'm a relationship coach. I want to see people make it. I want to see the redemption story, but to have a redemption story, you have to deal with the situation where it is right now to be able to heal and move forward. So, um, you know, hopefully they get the therapy they need. They get the work done. Um, I have a friend who happens to be, their mentor, and I know he is amazing, and he is doing work in their lives. So, um, you know, it, it's it's just a lot. Um, one thing that I made a note of that that I wanted to bring up real quickly is that. So, um, I think in every single relationship, like this is a this is a really good thing for us, a good takeaway for everyone in relationships, right? So, when Derek got caught in a situation, he decided, okay, I'm going to respond. So then he responded with this first video that gave a partial truth. And then later, I guess, um, he was feeling more heat. So he started to drip out more, right? Drip out more and more truth. When when you're in a situation and you really want to reconcile and you want to be healed and you want to move forward, don't play with the truth, right? Because that makes you look disingenuous. It makes you look like you're continuing to hide things. And it makes everyone around you not believe you. You become more um, unbelievable when you play with the truth almost than if you told a lie. Don't lie. Don't just blatantly lie. But I'm just saying. So 
So when you're when you're trying to um, reconcile, you're trying to heal, you're trying to be forthcoming and transparent. Just put it on the table. Look, I did it. This is what I did. If you want me to get into details, I will. Sometimes the details may not be important, but the bottom line is, this is what I did. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I want to work through it, but don't play with it. Um, just either either do it or don't do it. And leave it at that. All this extra drama, all this book sales. Well, this happened in the past and we're fine. It happened seven or eight months ago. That's not really the past. That's not even a year. <laughs> like, this so stop. You know, that's my, that, if I were talking to him. <laughs> but no, I mean, you make a really good point. Jamie says, come 100% or don't come at all. And one person hashtag black love. Um, and I agree. I am all for black love. Um, however, Black love also includes loving yourself and taking care of yourself because you cannot serve your purpose in the world if you don't take care of and love yourself. Um, so I, I don't want people staying in relationships solely, not that you were saying this at all, Jay, but solely in the, in the name of black love, solely in the name of we've got to make this work um, just because um, if the signs are there, You've got to pay attention to that. It is just as important to leave in some situations as it is to stay in other situations. So we can't miss that part as well. But our time is up, Jay. <laughs> yes, I appreciate you. We're going to just have to have you back and we'll, we'll be able to go even more deeper. By then, so. maybe there'll be another opinion video about the opinion video. You know, there will be a lot by then. So <laughs> how can people reach you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram um, at jherrcoaching, uh, on Twitter at jherrcoaching, same thing with Facebook. And I'm on Clubhouse at jherrcoaching. So if you want to come in and pop in those conversations, um, you can. And then finally, um, I have a singles conversation every other Wednesday night called Relationship Convos with the Black Man. Feel free to join. If you come on Clubhouse, you'll get my email address um, or you can hit me up on Instagram. And um, I'll get you connected there. And we have a lot of fun and we talk about lots of things relationship related. So, yeah, you can find me in all those places. All right. Thank you so much. This was great. I'm definitely going to have you back. Let's make it like a month from now and, and then we can recap everything that happened in the past month. <laughs> might, not might not be over in a month. See what happens. I know. I know. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. Stay with us. In the second hour, we're going to continue this conversation on victimology, unpacking power, prestige, and pain. Um, and we are going to go deep into a conversation about sex trafficking. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Good afternoon, and welcome to hour number two of the Live Exchange, where every week we exchange compelling dialogue around love. Uh, well, around love, yes, but around intellect, humanity, and change. Um, I'm Dr. Pamela, and on today's show, we had been talking about victimology and trauma and in the context of relationships. And so in this hour, I'm going to be joined by a guest, Chong Kim, who will share her personal experience of childhood trauma, um, of the work that she's doing, and how all of this has, has translated into powerful purpose and transformation. So I'm really looking forward to having her on. Um, we are live on Sensation Station Network's Facebook page. So definitely go there, engage in the conversation. Um, and, and we'd love to hear um, your intake, your, your thoughts and input on this. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the Live Exchange. 
Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are talking victimology. We're looking at um, power, prestige, pain, the different elements that come from that. And I want to welcome our second guest um, as we unpack this really complex issue and delve into this from a very different angle than what we covered in the first hour. Um, Korean-American author, activist, and renowned speaker, Chong Kim, is our guest for the second hour. She has spent two decades um, working to end sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Did you know that most victims of human trafficking were vulnerable due to the problems that existed in the home? Chong Kim will break down the signs of a potential victim by highlighting the parents' toxic behaviors and where they lack in parenting today in the virtual world. That's just, this is major and this is really important stuff. So welcome, 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 Chong Kim. Hi, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, I can hear you. So great to have you. Um, you know, these aren't necessarily rosy topics, but they're so important and the way I think about it is if we can um, help somebody, um, we can we can create some positivity in their lives. So this is just as important as any other happy topic we'd be talking about. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I want to start out to let people know I was actually born in South Korea okay. and I came here as an infant um, in Dallas, Texas. But one of the biggest dynamics of my upbringing was the separation of Korean culture in the American world. And huh. then on top of that, having to, trying to fit in, and I grew up in an all-white school, okay. and so I was called every racial slur, and I didn't know what that meant. And so kids would laugh at me, they would say things like, uh, oh, there's a, and they would say, um, they would call me chink, gook, you know, those racial slurs. I didn't know mm-hmm. what they were, so I would look under my shoe because I thought they were calling me a gook or something. And these kids would laugh. But going home, my mother would say, what's going on? Why are you crying? And I would say, these kids are making fun of me, and I don't know why. They keep calling me Chinese, Japanese. And I didn't know much about other Asian cultures either. And so one of the things I was strongly raised with was the model minority, which Mm -hmm. we were taught in Asian culture that we were to keep our mouth shut. We were to say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We were not to talk back or to be belligerent. I was the complete opposite. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would speak out. I love it. I love it. So you were, you were raised to speak out. Um, or is that just something you found within yourself? I found within myself because I knew in my heart something was wrong. I yeah. knew in my heart I had a teacher that didn't like my name, Chong. She wanted to call me mm-hmm. Kimberly. And I said, well, that's wow. not my name. So I got wow. to the principal's office. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. You know, it's interesting. Interesting because right now, and I talked about this yesterday, um, just in another group that I was a part of, um, but the dynamic right now between Black and Asian women, and I don't know if you're hearing it or seeing it or feeling it, um, you know, but in light of the shootings that happened, I'm here in Georgia, 
Um, but the shooting that happened here in Georgia, the conversation that I have seen has been a debate about whether or not black and Asian women show up for each other. And I'm curious to know if you have any any thought or perspective about that, because it seems that the work that you do impacts both of our populations quite heavily. Absolutely. And I believe that we need to unite together to speak out. And one of yeah. the things I want to make clear is that in, in the Asian community for a long time, because we follow that method of model minority, yes. racism against Asians have actually been going on way before the shooting. Oh, it yeah. became public because now it's multiple people and because when you hear someone of an authority figure, and I'll give an example, when I was in sixth grade <clears throat> and going into an all white school, I had a teacher that went to China. Knowing that I'm not even Chinese, I don't know anything mm -hmm. about the Chinese culture. And yet yeah. she says, oh, did you know they eat dogs and cats? So I have oh all God. these kids that bullied me mm -hmm. because of what one person said. So yeah. when you're a public figure, and you're an authority figure and you say something blatant and ignorant like that, you're going to start creating havoc around the community. And that's why when people hear about the Chinese virus, it mm -hmm. angers me because yeah. I'm like, hold up. You know, there are viruses all over the world, but we don't start naming them by race. Yeah. There are viruses so that way we can be aware for scientific purposes. And right. yes, all of us are upset about the whole COVID, but here's the other thing that I want to, I'm my hope, and this is just me personally, my hope is that even though we're hashtagging stop Asian hate, I think mm -hmm. that we need to also still embrace the black culture and not exclude the black culture as well, because there are some things that we can do together to unite to yes. carry that impact and to also show Asian and Black love, you know, simultaneously and also bringing the unity together. And this also lays in the foundation of bringing awareness on human trafficking because yeah. people assume that human trafficking only exists in certain type of ethnic groups, yep. which is not true. It happens to Black girls that are bought by white men that people don't talk about. Because yeah. when we talk about human trafficking or domestic minor sex trafficking, and not trying to dismiss any white girls that are being trafficked by black pimps, right. that has been overplayed so many times that people memorize it. But when I go to the black community and I tell them, and I bring awareness of human trafficking and I talk to parents and I talk to you know, the community, they're like, our children are being trafficked? Yes, your children are being trafficked by white men and by Asian men as well. And people wow. don't think about that. So, you know, I'd be happy yeah. to talk thoroughly, you know, even yes. more with that. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely going to dive into that. And I have to let you know that I have been stalking your Instagram page a bit. So I definitely have a couple of questions to ask you based on what's there um, and and we're going to go to a break but I know that um, one of the, the points that you talk a lot about are parents and what the role that parents play in either helping or protecting their children from becoming victims of this, this kind of crime so um, we're definitely going to dive into that so everybody stay with us we'll be right back
Welcome back. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, um, and today I am joined by Chung Kim, and we are talking about um, victimology, but specifically um, in this segment, we're going to be looking at um, sexual exploitation and human trafficking. And so, Chung, on your face, or I'm sorry, your Instagram page, there's a really interesting video. I had never heard of this. I actually just sent it to my daughter during during the break. Um, but it says, teach your kids the sign. Um, it's a TikTok. And it's really, um, for those of you who are listening, well, you, you wouldn't be able to see, even for all of you, um, it is a TikTok where there is a girl being led down a hallway. She probably looks like she's about maybe 11 years old. And somebody is holding her hand. A man is holding her hand. And as she walks by somebody, she grabs the person by her, his arm dis- dis- distinctly or discreetly. So that that person will know she's in trouble. She didn't have to say a word. She just brushed her arm by somebody who, you know, who might be able to help her. And in the video, that's what happened. I would just love for you to talk about that a little bit. I just, I don't know. I mean, I know you just posted it and you're not the author of it, but I would love to hear more about that. That's a strategy I had never heard of um, that we could teach our kids. Well, one of the things I will say, we have to be very careful because not every person we reach out to help for help. (laughs) is not always going to be there for us. For example, one time when I was trying to run away from my trafficker, and mm-hmm. even though I was 19, I was sold as a 13-year-old Japanese girl, I was in the casinos. And when I was running, I wrote on the napkin, please help me. I was sitting at a bar next to an older lady. And I wrote yeah. on the napkin, and please help me. And she looked at me up and down and sneered at me and threw the napkin away. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Those are I kid you not. Those are not the stories we hear, you know? The stories we no. hear are the stories of the flight attendant who noticed something wasn't right and they got the child, of the restaurant worker who saw that a child was being abused and, and did something. Those are the stories I, you know, and I feel silly and I guess naive to realize that people don't always step in, even when no. something that. So, okay, we need to back up a little bit though. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your story and your experience before we delve into to some of this other stuff? Absolutely. So I wanted to let people know I was raped at the age of three through six years old. And that mm-hmm. happened by a friend of my parents. And this is where the family dynamic comes in. When mm-hmm. a parent defends the abuser, that child has already been targeted for future exploitation. I cannot stress that enough because when a parent and a guardian does not protect the child and says, oh, you must be imagining, or, well, he was handicapped, so he can't get you pregnant, or, Mm. you know, any one of those numbers. And I hear this all the time from a lot of survivors. They said, my mom didn't believe me, my uncle didn't believe me, or my sister didn't believe me. There's even... You know, I know other survivors who were also raped by their own family members, siblings, older brothers, you know, sisters, things like that. And so that's the first step. And so growing up in an abusive home, along with my own family and the rape and the sexual abuse, by the time I was 12, I ran away from home, got into foster care. By the time I was 17, I aged out of foster care. So I was basically kicked out. They didn't Hmm. provide any housing, any protection, nothing like that. So by the time I was 19, I was naive. I didn't know anything about dating. I didn't know anything about 
embracing my body in a healthy manner. No one ever taught me that. And I had girlfriends that would tell me, oh, show what God gave you, meaning being more explicit, show your wow. booty, show your boobs, you know, things like that. So I thought that's how you catch a man's attention. Mm -hmm. So when I met the recruiter, he was dressed as a Marine uniform that he bought from an army surplus store. Wow. And so I thought he was actually in the military. We dated a couple of weeks. I was already saying, I love you. I was already thinking he was going to be, you know, my future husband. We're going to have children together. And that's how I got trafficked. And when I was trafficked, I was sold, even though I was 19, the traffickers sold me as a 13-year-old Japanese girl, Malaysian, uh, Chinese. It didn't matter as long as I fit the look of that Asian girl. And so when the buyers started buying me, there were multiple times where I would run away and I'd say, somebody help me, somebody help me. People would back away from me because wow. I hadn't showered in weeks. I didn't look, you know, all clean and prestigious because when I see these videos of awareness of call someone, that little girl was 11 years old, but she also had a coat on. She also looked like she was cleaned up. Yeah. Most of these girls do not look like that. I will tell you that much. Most wow. of these girls, you know, are, you know, have bruises on our bodies. We don't look kept up. Um, a lot of times our ne we have, we're wearing negligees. People question. And so whenever I hear adults telling me, oh, I saw that girl, she looks so fat. Yeah. And I have to stop them and say, what do you mean by she's so fast? Instead mm -hmm. of looking at the dynamic and saying, yeah. what can I do to re-educate her that right. she's beautiful and she does not need to look for validation in the outside world? Yeah. And that's what I try to teach people. Because <laughs> I think we need to practice not saying these girls are too fast because that's a red flag to me. When I yeah. see people say, oh, she's too fast, let's find out why she's too fast. Let's find yeah. out what is her family dynamic. What can I do as a mentor, as an adult woman, as a doctor, as a therapist, as a teacher, or even right. as a peer? As to a be classmate. Able to say, hey, exactly. Because we hear it all the time. Because back in the day, I'm showing my age, but I grew up in the 90s. And so okay. we used to, you know, talk about some of these fast girls that they deserved it that they and it was basically yeah. slut shaming them without well, looking at the dynamics yeah yeah absolutely and look i'm right there with you i grew up in the 80s and 90s so i, I might be a little bit <laughs> but um no there's so much you said there that is um you know just so important the whole fast thing that that can come uh, actually from even family members who are perpetrating the crime you know what I mean? And and which is even more disturbing. I want to talk and we're going to go to a break, but I want to talk about Stock, Stockholm Syndrome, because you said that this started when you were in a relationship of, that you thought was going to turn into marriage. So clearly there was some level of love. And I and, you know, Stock, Stockholm Syndrome um, is well, and, and we can talk about it more when we come back. But it's when that the, the victim falls in love with their the, their um victimizer and um i'm just wondering the extent to which that might have been applicable and then when it changed so um stay with us everybody i will be right back 
healthy people will set high boundaries. Ever heard of, um, there was a statement that says, women who have high standards will know what they want, and women with no standards will be lost because they don't know what their standards are. And no, yeah. and even women who have low standards, they can also end up being victimized by giving more and more to the man, doing everything for him, and still end up empty and dry in her own hands. And so she's trying to fill her cup, not realizing she can do it herself. She doesn't need a man to do that, to fulfill her cup and to fulfill her needs. Well, what strikes so me about it, that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what strikes me about that is that it occurs to me that this means that it doesn't necessarily matter if you are a quote unquote weak woman or strong woman um, in terms of whether or not you can be victimized. Because I can, I know a lot of women, myself included, who are strong and who believe that we can take care of whatever comes our way. So I'll deal with this, you know, unhealthy relationship for a while because he needs me, he can help me, and I have what it takes to hold us both up because I'm strong. And so I think there's a misconception that weak women are the ones that get victimized. Exactly, exactly. That's why I said there's two types of Stockholm Syndrome. Because yeah. you can take a strong woman who has some type of need of validation, because we all need validation, whether we're weak or strong or whether we're confident or we're vulnerable, we all need some type of validation somewhere. And all it takes is a manipulative person to con us and to make us think that we are validated until we realize it. And one of the things that I hate to use the word weak because none of us are actually weak. Once Mm. we become aware that we have been victimized, that's when the starting point is where we start saying, okay, I got taken advantage of, I've been betrayed, I've been hurt, I've been victimized, it stopped here. And I think that's where we need to start recognizing instead of calling it weak or strong women, because even Mm -hmm. there's so many strong women that also get victimized. And I see it all the time. Women are fed up of being taken advantage of. And I think it's so important to now realize what is actually healthy. Are we practicing healthy communication? I'll give a really quick example. In recent uh, years, I've been single. I recently got divorced. So I decided to try online dating. One of my friends told me about online dating. Here's the crazy part. I would meet up with these guys. Well, whenever we would chat through the dating site, they would say, let me have your number. Wait a minute, I don't know you to give out my number. And I said, why don't we meet up at a public place? And they're like, okay, let's meet at the park at 8 p.m. I said, public? And I said, daylight. So I'm not talking to you anymore because you're not respecting my wishes. And I had to say that. And I realized there was a lot of men online that does the exact same thing that the first guy did. I want to, let's hook up. Let's do this. Let's do that. Well, what does hook up mean to Mm -hmm. you? Right. Or they would say, oh, can I get your number? Why are you shy? You know, and all this other stuff. And then they start to attack. Like, oh, you're one of those women. What type of woman are you talking about? A woman that's yeah. not going to put up with it BS. And I had yeah. to be able to realize, wait a minute, this online dating is not even, you know, have anything healthy in here. So I had to step away and realize and reprioritize what are my needs in the dating relationship. 
So I'm so glad you brought that up because um, this obviously is a major part of dating these days is the online dating world. Um, you know, I too am divorced and have been divorced for 11 years. I really thought I was going to be married by now, but you know, that's a whole other show. <laughs> and I, I have been my <laughs> I have I too thought I was going to be married by now. Every down. What did you say? I too thought I was going to be married. Yes. So um, I have dipped my toe in the dating pool once or twice, just my toe, and I felt like I got a little bit of an acid burn from it. <laughs> so I pulled back. But um, I'm curious to know your thoughts about the safety of online dating. I mean, you were alluding to to just exactly that, but I, I just want to ask you directly about that. Um, is this a, a potential risk factor when it comes to human trafficking? Absolutely, because anybody can pose as anyone. You can be catfished, even if the guy looks like who he says he is. The thing yeah. is, I cannot stress enough. I don't care what he tells you. You do a background check on every guy you're talking to because you don't know who he is. I even had a guy that was a cop that wanted my phone number, and I said, not yet, and he blew up my phone, and I ended up having to block him, and he was a cop. And wow. I was really worried about that. And then also there are kids going on online dating. They're going on there, uh, even though they said they're 16, because some online dating will let 16-year-olds, but there was an 11-year-old girl that was actually trafficked through Tinder. I'll have to send you the article. But she was trafficked through Tinder, and she was 11 years old. And wow. so there's a lot of scrutiny that comes with the online dating because I remember back in the 90s, even when I talked about Yahoo dating, my girlfriends were like, ew, that's creepy, that's queer. Now everyone does online dating. And so yeah. one of the things that I want to also stress out, um, I want to go back to, you know, parents. Yes. Because we live in a digital world. It's important to check your kids' phone. I don't care if they say they have their own privacy. It is important. Because as long as you're paying for their bill, you yeah. should be able to know their password. You should be able to set up a password. You should be able to and be able to talk to kids about online anything, uh, online safety, education. Yeah. And so I can't stress that enough. Okay. We're going to need to dive into that. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things I, as a parent, I have a middle schooler going into ninth grade and it's like prime time. You got to talk. Um, and, you know, last week we watched a movie, a TV series that some people might find highly inappropriate because of the things that they covered in there. Um, Georgia and Jenny or Jenny and Georgia. She says I'm, I'm old. But I, don't, I don't have the name right. But there were some real compelling issues in there that enabled or can open up conversation about all of these things and then some. Um, so sometimes it comes in the form of watching a movie together or a TV show together, you know, but to be able to have these conversations are crucial. I'm saying more than I need to say because we need to go to a break. <laughs> when we come back, we'll, we'll dive more deeply into this. So stay with us on the Life Exchange. Welcome back. I'm Dr. 
and uh, today we are looking at victimology. I'm joined by Chong Kim, whose um, work and platform is around working to end sexual exploitation and human trafficking. Um, Chong, I want to dive into, so we're going to look at parenting, but I want to tie that into this idea of victimization um, and and victimology, because um, just looking at the, the research behind victimology, it looks to really examine the different ways that people become victims. And I'm wondering where the line is, or if there is a line um, in which we're victim blaming, um, parent blaming is, and, and, and that might be something that's absolutely necessary in terms of analysis, but I'd love to hear your, your take on that. Okay. So when we talk about victimology, we look at the dynamics and we look at the history first. Where did the child come from? What was their history? What was their upbringing? Were they abused? Or if they weren't abused by the parents, were they abused at school? Were they ignored? And a lot of times the victimology doesn't have to come from parents. It can also come from school where the kid is being bullied by the peers, the teachers. It doesn't matter. And a lot of times when the kid feels abused at school, they don't want the parents to, to suffer. What they were going through is a lot of these kids end up being silent. They don't mm-hmm. talk about it. I don't know if you ever saw the um, the TV series called 13 Reasons. It was actually executive produced by Selena Gomez and they talked about bullying because they cultivated yeah. about cyberbullying and bullying in general. Well, the girl didn't come from an abusive home. She had parents that loved her but because she was struggling with bullying in school, she became a victim of being bullied. And so that's a form of victimology. The other part I do want to talk about is about the family. When a child is being abused by their own, in their own home, whether it's by siblings, whether it's by family members, or whether it's directly from the parents. And so when you have that type of victimology, a lot of times that causes a lot of strain for the victim because on one hand, they're being taught that we have to obey and honor our parents. But when yeah. the parents are doing something that is not just, then it confuses the child even further. And it makes the child even angrier, where they become defiant. Nowadays, there are kids that are fighting back. There are kids that are murdering their own parents. And so when people hear those type of tabloids, they don't think about the dynamics of victimology in that person's you know, history. And I'm not saying let's make an excuse of what right. that child went through, but they need to go to rehab and they need help. And then we need to look at the signs of what's going on in their home life. And then yes. also victimology can lead into addiction to a chaotic life. And not all victims grow up to be drug dealers or drug addicts or even involved in exploitation of any sort, some of them actually end up going into an Ivy League school, working hard, getting their education, finding scholarships, sponsorships, you know, things like that. So I want yeah. to stress that out as well. I don't want people to think, oh, all victims are damaged. That's not right. what I'm trying to say. And and in the same vein, the point that you made a little earlier is that all oh, people who come from good, secure homes um, don't, you know, aren't I guess, immune to becoming a victim. Exactly. And, um, you know, because like I said, the bullying at school or even, not even bullying, even just wanting to fit in somewhere because we all want to feel connected in some way. 
It could yeah. even be victimology can also fall into where a young girl falls in love with a boy for the first time she had a crush on him. He sexually assaulted her. Well, mm. then now that she falls into that victimology, she has been betrayed because victimology basically boils down to betrayal when we've been betrayed by someone we trust. Yeah. And that's what it boils down to. Well, what's chilling about this is that, um, uh, you know, I was around 19 when I first got involved with somebody um, and thought I was in love and so forth. Um, and I really see where my life could have taken a really dramatic turn. I mean, he was he was toxic. Um, he was posing as an FBI agent. You know, there's a lot of um, interesting elements of that that could have so easily taken me right down that same road, um, despite the, the the loving home that I came up in. And so I just want people to understand that sometimes all it takes is meeting the wrong person and being in the wrong situation. Um, now, in light of that, though, Chong, what can somebody do to make sure I'm, uh, that they don't fall in that, you know, situation, that wrong situation with the wrong person? And if they do, how can they recognize that and do something about it? Well, the first thing is to, if you're a parent and you have a teenage daughter, talk to her about what does healthy relationship look like. Make yeah. a conversation. One of the things I did because I had a son, I actually told him, I said, what do you think about girls? What do you think? And we actually, um, this is going to sound crazy, but one time I caught him watching porn. And mm -hmm. so I said, no, pull that up. And he was like, mom, I want to be grounded and say, I don't want to look at porn with you. And I said, no, I want you to pull it up because I want to talk to you about the body parts that you're looking at. Brilliant. And so he said, no, I do not want to. So I pulled it up and then I started typing in gonorrhea, syphilis, all these STDs. And I clicked on images and I said, those are the same boobs that you're drooling at. Does that look sexy? And also, right. how do you know this girl actually enjoys it and she's not being trafficked? Because oh, God. every girl that you look at, yeah. you don't know if she's been trafficked. The story and behind so yeah, the story behind the porn industry is not what it looks like on screen. What's going on behind the scenes is horrendous. Yeah. Yes. I and think so that was... Ever since then, he has not looked at porn. <laughs> <laughs> that is room. <laughs> well, when you said earlier, you know, check your children's phones and so forth, and um, I cringe because I did that with my son once, and I I threw the phone. I didn't. I was like, no, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. And I think that's the reaction of a lot of parents. We don't know what to do. And I think what you just said that you did was a great strategy. Um, you know, face it head on, have the conversation. That might be a, a bigger punishment to them. <laughs> but exactly. It's one that can save their life, though. So I, I really appreciate that as a strategy. Yeah. Wow, that's also, huge. Um, one day my son was supposed to come home at 7 p.m. He didn't come home until 9 p.m. He had his phone turned off so I couldn't reach him. Mm -hmm. And so me being abducted, you know, and a mom, I can't. I didn't know if I wanted to kick his butt or kiss <laughs> him all over because he came home. Yeah. But this is what how I dealt with the strategy. I had to meet him when he got home. I gave him a month, one month worth of homework. We went online and we went to missing and exploited children 
and we mm. would do research on all the boys that went missing. <sighs> and I wanted him to do research to tell me what he learned from each of their stories. Oh, that's so good. And from good. that point on, he's been texting me. He'll say, Mom, I'm on the toilet. Mom, I'm on the <laughs> You know, things like that. Because I think what we need as parents, we need to step away from the authority yeah. and be the educator and educate yeah. our kids. Oh, that's so powerful. I mean, really, because boys don't get enough attention when it comes to this subject matter. They're usually spoken to from the standpoint of don't abuse women. And yeah, important message. Um, but they are also victimized um, at, at rates that I don't even know we're sure about because they don't come mm-hmm. forward. With it. So um, we're going to go to another break. Uh, when we come back, um, we're going to wrap it up. There's so much more we can cover. But think about Chong, if there's anything else you want to add to this conversation. Um, and uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. For the past two hours, we've been talking about victimology and, and looking at it from different angles. Um, and I have joining me right now, Chong Kim, who has uh, been an advocate um, in the area of human trafficking. Um, and, you know, one of the things I didn't bring up, I just wanted to make sure um, we talked about is um, just the work on, on on the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences, and how that can have such a an impact on adulthood, physical health, well-being, um, mental health, of course, um, and and some of the risk factors around that um, is exactly are some of the issues we've been talking about: uh, sexual abuse as children, um, people who are you know some some signs are you know people who are exposed to um, different things in the family like alcohol abuse, even divorce is on the list. And so for those of us who are divorced or who um, you know have experienced divorce, you know thinking about the impact of that and what it can do for our children um, is heavily dependent on how we deal with the divorce um, with our children. So um, so I just wanted to to bring that out um, really quickly. Um, Kim, you talked, I'm sorry, Chong, you talked about having your own experience with human trafficking. How did you come out of that? Um, You know, to be honest, I'm a person of faith. And so I don't know if I could have done it without God. That's the first and foremost. Um, I was angry. I was bitter. I mean, it's been over 25 years. I get people now that says, you're smiling. Why are you smiling? Well, I didn't get trafficked yesterday because mm. if you met me when I got out, you would not have liked me because I did not want to be around people. I was angry. I was also, I was force fed with narcotics in my blood. They injected uh, morphine, cocaine, heroin, and I was addicted to crack cocaine, cocaine, meth. And so I've been clean for 20 years. Wow. And so it took a lot out of me to reinvent my life. But when I became a mother, that's when I realized I didn't want to repeat the pattern in my own life with my children. I wanted to give my children something better than what I got. And that became my motivator to start changing. But what I didn't realize is that I became a public figure in a way that I didn't... um, I didn't realize how much I impacted the world by, you know, they did a movie on me called Eden. I'll send you the link so you can watch the movie. 
Um, it used to be on Amazon Prime, and now I don't know. Someone said they t they took it out. I've seen so that. That's a beautiful. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> That's wow. Beautiful. And then I have a book called Broken Silence that details more about my trafficking. And now I have a foundation called Velvet Brick Foundation, and I have my own LLC. And I'm working on some couple of media projects. I'm going to be um, launching a scripted TV series, a drama series about human trafficking. And it's wow. about a female survivor who teaches the FBI how to think like a trafficker in order to rescue the kids in time. And wow. so I've been pitching and working on that. So the more I know, the more I will let you know so that way we can stay on top of this. Because oh, I want people to realize what's going on. And yeah, so and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to connect with you just even on offline on this, as there's some things that I, ways that I've wanted to get my organizations involved with advocacy for for this work. So I, I, I appreciate you sharing this. Um, and, and we are at the end. So I'm, would you uh, be willing to share how people can reach you? Yes, people can reach me on Clubhouse, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at IamChonkin.com. Be sure to check out my website at IamChonkin.com. On my website as well, you can buy my books. I also have masks, cups, products, and um, certain percentage of that goes to my foundation so that way I can continue rescuing some of the girls. I do some of the limit rescues. I help some of the girls get out of trafficking. And so we need the uh, funding to help with these um, other survivors. Because may, most survivors, I want, I can't stress this enough. Most survivors that get out of trafficking, that's not the end for them. A lot of them need to go to rehab. A lot of them have criminal background because of prostitution charges, theft charges, because they're tired of being raped all the time. So they end up stealing cards credit cards from their buyers you know and so they have a felony record so they can't get housing they can't get a car they can't get any of those things and so that's what the funding is for to help these young girls and boys who have been trafficked and so please check out my book broken silence uh, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. Um, I, one of the posts on your page says, a woman who knows her worth is a dangerous one. When no one else can use you, play you, or get over you on you, you become a threat. And I just think that those are some powerful words to end with. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all thank for tuning you. into the where we exchange compelling dialogue around humanity, intellect, and change every Thursday from 11 to 1. Join me next week at 11 at the same time. And remember that together we can right the wrongs, we can speak the truth, we can stand for change, and we can rise above. Have an empowering week.